Welcome to The Self-Made Theory. The podcast that's all about innovating, overcoming and prospering. We interview founders, entrepreneurs, innovators, CEOs and other exciting people about their amazing business journey. Over to your host, Ben Campbell, for this week's episode. Oh my goodness, you are going to love this episode. I met up recently with Eloise Hall and Isabel Marshall, who are the co-founders of Taboo Sanitary Products. And before you decide that this isn't a topic of interest for you, especially you fellas out there, you have to listen to this story. Why? Well, it's an episode that's all about business models, social impact, making a difference, overcoming hurdles, the process from business idea through to business launch, and ultimately, it's about changing the world. Isabel and Eloise are super driven and super passionate, and the language they use when they describe business is way, way beyond the few years of business experience that they've had. And I love that they've decided that Taboo should be a social enterprise, which is a different business model than you might be used to, like not-for-profit or general corporate enterprise. I was so inspired by what they're doing that I went home after I recorded with them and signed up for their product subscription. Not for me personally, obviously, but as a donation to women in need. My name is Ben Campbell, and this is The Self-Made Theory. Isabel and Eloise, welcome to The Self-Made Theory. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right, we're going to start with the elevator pitch, Mm -hmm. and Isabel, you've been nominated. I have. (laughs) Off you go. Yeah. So Eloise and I started a social enterprise called Taboo Sanitary Products about three years ago. Um, And Taboo sells organic cotton pads and tampons to Australian customers or customers in Australia. And um, we are committed to using our profits to fund menstrual projects overseas that primarily make sure girls get back into school. Cool. I'm going to come back to that. There's a few things to unpack. There's a lot, of, there's a lot in this story, which I'm really excited to, uh, to ask you about. Let's just start with what a social enterprise is, because I think you might be my first social enterprise <gasps> guest, which exciting. is a bit disappointing <laughs> rather that, uh, that it's taken this long, but I'm excited to hear about what, your, what a social enterprise is. Yeah, go for it, Wes. <laughs> so a social enterprise is really defined as a company that exists for a social purpose. So in terms of Taboo, we exist to sell organic cotton pads and tampons to Australian customers. However, we have decided to dedicate all of our net profits to uh, be contributed to charitable projects that support women in Sierra Leone and Uganda and keep girls in school. So our company exists like any other company in Australia, but we have a social purpose for our profits rather than a purpose for shareholders' profits. Great. So you need to make money. That's important because if you don't make money, you can't fulfill your overall purpose and mission of supporting people overseas. Exactly. Yeah. So like any other business, you've got to be smart with your money and Mm -hmm. you've got to make some money along the way, but it's not to line your greedy fat pockets. Exactly. And we need to be sustainable. Hmm. Yeah. We can't rely on donations or anything like that. We need to be self-sustainable so that we can then donate as much as possible. Yeah, that's a big difference between a social enterprise and a charity is that we uh, are able to support social causes with our profits from a business rather than simply donations from generous people. All right. So where did 
this all start? Because this is your first rodeo. You haven't started mm. businesses before? No. No. <laughs> I'm 22 and Eloise is 21. And you're not doing this full time. You're both studying or working part time or? Both, yeah. Well, all three. So studying, working and running Taboo, yeah. All right. So where did the idea for Taboo start? Well, we, um, Eloise and I were school leaders um, at Walford School in Adelaide. Um, and we were sent off to a leadership conference in, at Bond University. Um, and it was there that we, through the keynote speaker, Daniel Flynn, the founder of Thank You Water, okay. um, we, were, we were introduced to the concept of a social enterprise by him. Um, and we were pretty blown away by the idea. And we figured there's so much power in that market. Um, so we thought, why don't we just create a product? And we started with that question, like what, what is in high demand? Um, and we came to pads and tampons yeah. um, and then we thought we could, we could sell our own brand of pads and tampons and use the profits to fund menstrual projects. And that was like a cool idea, but we didn't really know what issues were out there surrounding menstruation. So then we started researching. Um, and at this point we were in year 12, just starting year 12 and yeah, we didn't know much about it at all. And we were absolutely blown away by the stats and ultimately the effects of what we call period poverty. So a girl not having access to safe pads, safe tampons, appropriate products to actually soak up the blood. But on top of that, like the whole sanitary um, requirements behind that, like you need somewhere to wash, you need somewhere to clean, it needs to be hygienic. And then all the sexual education around it as well, reproductive diseases. There's so much that is impacted by a girl not having good menstrual health care. So can we talk about some of those stats? Because you've got some of those on your website, mm-hmm. um, particularly around some of the places you support Sierra Leone and, mm-hmm. and Kenya. In Sierra Leone, girls miss around 50 school days every year due to their period. Yeah. And, and that's often attributed to the things that Izzy was just talking about in that these girls, one, can't afford to splash out on pads yeah. um, because it is a luxury in a lot of these places especially in a place where families are already experiencing poverty, pads and menstrual hygiene products are not going to make the priority list on a shopping list. You're going to feed your kids before you can provide anything else. So it's very much overlooked and that's a lot to do with the really intense stigma that exists in a lot of these countries. So periods are so shameful for these women that it's not anything they really want to even bring up. Um, So yeah, they can't afford a lot of um, products, but that's only if they can access them as well, which is extremely rare. So in a lot of rural uh, places, especially in Kenya, where we visited a couple of years ago, a local store was not anywhere to be found near a school or a home. So to access these pads is really difficult. And yeah, a lot of the alternative methods that these women and girls will use to soak up blood include things called pieces, which is the equivalent of rags. Um, and they are not often washed well or dried appropriately because it is such a shameful thing to have public and they're just not reliable either. So when girls are using tree bark or cow dung or leaves or pieces to soak up their menstrual blood, they don't have the confidence to then walk into a school, get an education and fear all day that they're going to bleed onto their dress because if they do, the shame that they will experience from that will they, they kind of wouldn't get over it. So all of these girls often just don't go to school when they do have their period, which is, as you were saying, is incredibly impactful to the point of mm. a third of, or a fourth of their schooling. And often girls will drop out of school as soon as they start missing so many days of school because there's no point paying school fees or making the effort to be educated um, when you can often drop out and get married and start a family at 
from the earliest age of 12. Mm. What did you think when you found this information out? I mean, living in a, you know, going to Wolfwood School, one of the top schools here mm. uh, in Adelaide, leading pretty great lives very here in Australia, yeah, very yeah, privileged yeah. lives here in Australia. What, what did it do inside of you when, you when you found out this information? I think it broke our hearts, I guess. Yeah. We, we just, we saw such injustice in it. And as women who menstruate as well, I think you have a heightened sense of like, it's so relatable. Like we just started thinking, what if we were in that position? And periods are not glamorous. They're, they're pretty, they're difficult to get through. Like even if you have all the right products and when you start thinking about not having pads and then you also think about the cultural shame on top of that mm. all um, and the fact that it just, it just means that girls are sitting at home at wherever they may be. Um, missing out on school. That's just not fair. And we, we, that's kind of when we were like, okay, this, this was a nice idea, but now this is an idea that we're going to actually see through. Now we're serious. We have no yeah. excuse <laughs> to neglect this, yeah. You can't. It's really hard to turn away from that, it isn't is. it? Yeah, mm. and we, 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 I don't think it ever crossed our mind to turn away from it. We had this solution and our hearts were broken for this cause. Yeah, we just had nothing but, like, drive and love to see it through and make sure that we could at least give it our best shot to try and set this system up so that, we have privileged women in Australia supporting women who need the support to go to school and get an education. Mm. And I think the most heartbreaking part for us was knowing how much we appreciated our education. And I think with that comes so much freedom and we never thought that we wouldn't be able to do anything because we had this one like naive, I guess, idea of our future that we were just going to do whatever we want. But I think every girl deserves to know that they have a future and that they can look forward to their dreams and mm. we just knew that without an education you can't really be so sure that you can fulfill your dreams and the only reason to not get an education is your biology we just thought that's ridiculous like mm. you can't help that that's your body and mm. everyone deserves the really accessible support yeah. they need mm. and if anything like yes it's your biological functions but it's a biological function that is necessary for this human race to continue so, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not even a bad one we're, no. we're, we're all here because that happens yes, Absolutely. exactly and to be punished for that is mm. just so outrageous I'm surprised that, um, one of the one of the things you said nearly half the women in in Iran think that it's a disease mm. menstruation is disease yeah and I guess that wow. leads to the other huge aspect of period poverty is the miseducation and the stigma that still exists. There are mm. so many places around the world that treat it as a disease or a punishment. A punishment. There are so many myths that relate bleeding to impurity and mm. dirtiness and even witchcraft. There are some countries which initiate the practice of menstrual huts. So women aren't welcome in the home when they're bleeding and they have to stay in this hut for the length of their period. And that often leads to hypothermia in some cases. Some mm. women get bitten by snakes and aren't found for days because they're so dirty and you can't look at them otherwise you'll be cursed. That mm. these women are left okay. yeah, so, themselves. So you've decided that a social enterprise is the way to go. Yes. You've now done the research and worked mm -hmm. out there's this massive, massive challenge that you need to lean into. What did you do after that? What was the next step? So this takes us to the end of year 12. Mm -hmm. We decided to focus on our exams. <laughs> so, <laughs> so and all we, the parents listening went, yes, yes that's exactly, exactly what you should have done. <laughs> so we got them out the way and then we pretty much entered a competition. 
around that time, a local one, um, all about giving um, young people a platform to pitch their business ideas. It's called Fish Tank, run by the Unley Council. It's a like mini version of Shark Tank, yeah. if you hadn't figured. <laughs> so we pitched our idea purely just to see if people were positive about it, what the response was like, whether it had legs. Neither Eloise or I had had ever done business or anything like that um, as a subject. So we didn't even know if it was a good model, things like that. So we pitched it. We actually won, got a little bit of seed funding. Awesome. And ultimately just a lot of mentorship came from that, a lot of encouragement. Mm -hmm. So that's when we decided to take a gap year to devote it to Taboo, just to see how far we could get it, I guess. And So So did you have support for the gap year from others around you? Plenty, Mm -hmm. yeah. Like you said, we didn't know, we hadn't had any business experience, so we didn't know where to start, but... We just knew that um, actually we spent a lot of time deciding if we were going to be a social enterprise, actually, even though that's where the idea sparked from. We thought, wow, this is such a big cause. Is this the best way to support this cause? And we spent about a year grappling the different business structures and whether we should register as a charity or a business. And then we decided we can make the most money by being the most profitable business out there. But instead of like everyone else giving our profits to shareholders, let's put this into where it's needed so that's when we registered the company on my 18th birthday because you have to be 18. <laughs> <laughs> Had a glass of wine after. So. Yeah. <laughs> Illegal. <laughs> but that's when we just started. We were daunted by all these big questions. Where do we find product to sell in Australia? What do we even sell? What do people want? Uh, how do they want it? Where do we sell it? How do we support this cause? And um, a lot of that year um, was asking the question, what product are we going to sell and how are we going to get it? Obviously, that requires money as well. So we spent a lot of the time contacting various manufacturers. Ideally, we wanted a manufacturer in Australia. That makes a lot of sense. But our priorities were organic cotton products because we know that that's what our market wants and that's what they should want. It's healthier. Yeah. But but we didn't. We couldn't find a manufacturer in Australia that offered that, but also offered... Um, to uh, was able to create um, products for a private label. So um, we, we came across some real hurdles in that area. It took us a long time to fi- finally find our manufacturer from um, Barcelona, actually, in Spain. So um, they're like an hour and a half out of Barcelona and we made contact, didn't really expect any response, but um, got this amazingly positive response saying we'd love to share, share with you our company and we got, looked into their products and then kind of they, their values were so well aligned to ours in terms of prioritizing um, women's health, those values, the supporting like other businesses that they work with. So, um, so how long did it take you to find them? Probably a year since. And how, how many phone calls, emails? Uh, uh, quite a few. Yeah. There were, there were probably emails. 10, 15 did, did factories you... that we looked into quite significantly. And what was your evaluation criteria? For the other than organic, obviously, mm-hmm. we did want it to be as environmentally conscious as possible, yep. um, because that's something that we desperately need to focus on in the future and and now. And thankfully, the factory that we uh, partnered with run off of hydroelectricity, so they have no carbon footprint on the production. Wow! And the boxes that our products are uh, packed in are made from recycled cardboard. So they have really thought through every single process of their factory to make it as environmentally friendly as possible. So that really sat well with us. Obviously, another piece of criteria was the affordability. We need to have a product that is accessible to a lot of Australian customers. And it is quite expensive when you put it into a year, for example, you're going to spend 
a fair bit of money. So we, we didn't want our product to be so highly priced that only the very privileged in Australia can afford it. We wanted it to be accessible for everyone. So our markups had to be reasonable. So yeah, pricing was something that we considered and also just the friendliness and the, I guess, communication style of mm-hmm. the factory we're working with because we really respect the business that we run and we hope that the partners that we have respect us in the same token and respect the work that we exist mm-hmm. for. Yeah. And to be perfectly honest, that like we were 18-year-old girls on the phone. Um, our voices were quite high. We sounded quite naive <laughs> at points. <laughs> very that, naive. Is that yeah. your opinion or their opinion? Do you think? <laughs> well, it's one of those things where you listen to your voice at like, a recording, you're like, whoa, that's really high. That's Nobody a- likes their own no. voice. No. <laughs> but in saying that, I think we, we got the response that a naive 17-year-old would get or would be expected to get a lot of the time we had people on the other end of the phone saying, sorry, sweetie, we can't help. Mm. Like they're treating us like a year 11 business project. Yeah. So it was really hard to be taken seriously. And there were times that we had to call on some older male mentors to give us advice and reassure us that we weren't naive young kids, that we actually had the passion there and it would work eventually. We have had to rope in some respected older men into some meetings to be taken seriously on the first initiative, which is really. It's terrible, really. It's yeah. Fu- yeah, it's super frustrating. Yeah. yeah. And little comments and stuff that you just kind of let fly because you're like, it's not worth it. But mm. at the same time, it just, it, it does, cha- it changes your, I guess, the the vibe. And you do need to be taken seriously if you, we should be taken seriously. Mm. Yeah. I think I'm always thankful for the fact that we have so much passion that it never really affected us in the way Mm. that we were going to give up we Mm. never we had a backbone to support what we stood for and so we just kept going and when we did get comments that were quite offensive or just belittling belittling it would just fuel the fire in our bellies to Mm. keep going even harder good and (laughs) yeah I love that yeah (laughs) I'm very proud of the little attention we gave a lot of people mm. when they were really being belittling. So yeah. that, that's, it's not about us. No. We exist for a mission greater than us and yeah. watch us thrive. With yeah, it. exactly. So have you worked out the way to determine the belittling comments versus the constructive criticism that you should listen to? Yeah. How can you tell the difference? Um, I think it really comes with respect um, yeah. and assumptions. I remember we had a meeting with someone that, assumed that daddy paid for the first batch of product and said it in a very belittling way and that just doesn't have respect it doesn't come with the assumption that we made it ourselves or or put the effort in ourselves so that's instantly belittling and constructive criticism I think oh we've always appreciated it but you know it's constructive when it comes from a place of care Mm. comes from a place of respect in that the work that we are doing or have done is respected still even though it might be criticised. I think you're exactly right. Assumptions is the main thing. Like we have plenty of older male mentors and they have put in the time to know, like to understand our story. Um, And so when they say things like like question if we'd considered that or whatever, we know that's because they they know that we haven't considered it. Mm. And so, yeah, there's a difference. And that's important. Yeah, And they're not just putting you down. There's something there for you to listen to and have a think about. Mm. And they're giving us that time and constructive criticism because they know that we'll use it and, and do something with it and, and respect their opinion as well. Otherwise, it, why would they bother? Like it, when someone gives us constructive criticism from the right place, 
it's a compliment that they're trusting us with their advice and their time to then pursue our business in a better way. So you'd mentioned before about your engagement with an organisation overseas. Can you talk about how that started? Uh, yeah, so One Girl, yep. the, not the manufacturer, the yeah, outreach. Yeah, so um, One Girl is this incredible charity. They work from Melbourne, but they work in Sierra Leone and Uganda. Um, that was important to us just for communication means, I guess. Like it's, we've actually visited their office and we've been able to speak to the, um, to the women that run it in depth. And I guess the reason that we chose to go with One Girl is because of their incredibly well thought out holistic approach to getting girls back in school and women employed in the communities that they work in. Um, they've identified a lot of the barriers that stop that from happening, one of which is the menstrual health care. But I assume there are plenty of others as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Are you a busy executive with not enough time to work on your business and fit in physical exercise into your day? As a business coach and mentor, many of the executives I work with understand that their most precious resource is time. On top of running their business and the demands of life in general, the challenge for many is fitting exercise into their busy lives. Harvard Business Review indicates your mental firepower as an executive is directly linked to your physical regimen. Exercise brings improved concentration, sharper memory, faster learning, prolonged mental stamina, enhance creativity and lower stress and that doesn't include all the physical health benefits as well in response to this we've launched self-made cycling our business and executive coaching services conducted not in the boardroom but on the bike it's a brilliant way to combine all the benefits of working on your business challenges while bringing you the physiological benefits of exercise. Years ago, a lot of business was conducted on the golf course. Today, it's time to handle your business on the handlebars. We cater for all levels of executives and cycling experience. Beginner, pro, entrepreneur, manager, CEO, weekly, fortnightly or monthly. We've got you covered. We've launched this service in January at the Tour Down Under in Adelaide, but can work with executives anywhere in the world using your smart trainer and platforms like Zwift. And don't forget to chat to your accountant. Did I hear someone say tax deduction? Visit our website, selfmadecycling.com.au or call 1300theory. Business and cycling, it doesn't get any better. So how do you manage profitability, cash flow, when you can contribute, when you can't, when you have to keep money in reserve for stock and those types of types of things? It's a great question. We only launched the sale of our product in August 2019. So we turned one in our sales just last week. That's exciting. <laughs> it is exciting. And it you're still very here. Quickly. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, most startups fail before the first <laughs> year or two. So. And with coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we've only been selling our product for a year. Um, we really quickly brushed over how, actually, we haven't really talked about how we made the money to start with. In 2017, 18 summer holidays, we launched a crowdfunding campaign to afford our first batch of product. So it was quite a daunting task to raise minimum $48,000 in one month. Two months. Two months. Three months. It was two months. To raise $48,000 in two months. And if we didn't raise that goal, we would have all of the donations would have been uh, turned back to the donors. So we had to raise nearly 50 grand in two months. And thanks to our hugely supportive and generous community, we raised $56,000. 
And that was pretty much enough to buy our first batch of product. Wow. So that was incredibly helpful in... And was that a mix of straight donation with product as well for some some of the backers or was it just purely a donation? Purely donations um, because that was enough money for us to buy our own private label from a manufacturer. So that means we were able to create our own brand of pads and tampons and ship them back to Adelaide. And yeah, started selling them in August. So what, so what happened when your first shipment of product arrived? It was actually, have a video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a really stressful week because we had we threw our big launch party that week. So we probably didn't give it enough attention or excitement or celebration as it deserved because it was like, oh, let's quickly cram in three hours to unpack the container into our office. Um, it was incredibly exciting to see it all together finally on our we show. We had all... Uh, all of our friends um, come in and help us unpack the container. So we were all busy running in and out and we we did it pretty quickly actually. We did, yeah. Um, And then we were straight back to organising the launch party. Back to work. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, But, yeah, in terms of cash flow, obviously we are a registered company. So first and foremost we need to be sustainable and productive for years to come. So in this earlier startup phase, we're quite honest in that we won't be able to make a profit for a while and we therefore won't be able to make a donation to one girl. So now we're really trying to set our foundations in a place that they're unshakable and we can continue growing in the future. And the more profit we make, the more impact we have. So probably for the next year from now, we'll be more foundational purchasing and having a really reliable stock and then from there we can start excitingly donate our net profits to one girl and see these projects happen. So who are you selling to? Um, good question. I was about always, to talk about that. That's always the challenge. Who are the customers? So we started selling our product online. So we offer this subscription model, which means that a customer can hop online, get their product delivered at a regular interval, whether, whether it be every month along with their period or every three months. So that was primarily our market and we, we marketed to them mostly through social media that's our main platform. But we've had an amazing couple of months partnering with various retailers. So recently we've just um, had our product stocked in 122 OTR stores. Fantastic. Yeah, wow, that's game changing yeah. for us and 22 national pharmacies. Wow. So Because notoriously, you know, the supermarket chains, particularly the bigger ones, are very hard to deal with. Yeah. Most- and we've We've had years of warnings. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. We're prepared for some hard meetings. Um, but for now, we've had incredibly supportive, more local businesses, national pharmacies and on the run are both South Australian. And there's a really big South Australian pride existing in a lot of retail opportunities. So that's been incredibly helpful and exciting to be a part of another South Australian business. So that's why at the moment we're more looking towards some local IGAs and food lands because they're incredibly popular and a lot of people do complete their weekly shopping in these locations. So that's really where we're focused at now. We're not too, um, we don't want to get too big for our boots too quickly. So they're great places for us to start at the moment. And so why not get too big too quickly? Is that, have people warned you against that? Is that so it's sustainable for you two as founders because you've got uni and working and other things on on the go? I think Mm. it's more or less a a business decision um, because we don't want to grow too quickly otherwise our backs will break and not fit, not ourselves, but as a business, it will not be as sustainable as it can be. So yeah, relating back to those foundations, we want to have really solid local partnerships in retailing before uh, we commit all our stock to some 
some companies that could run us off our feet to the point that we we break. Mm. And a big part of that um, comes from the fact our product comes all the way from Barcelona. So there's a massive time factor to consider. It takes about three months to get our product ordered and then over here. So obviously like so we... So that has an impact on cash flow, I assume, yes, because you've got yeah. to place, a, place an order, you've got to pay some cash before it Absolutely, leaves, yeah. Right, and then you've got a big window be- before you actually sell it. Yeah, and we've also got subscriptions that we have to fulfil throughout that whole time. So we can't run out of stock and then not be able to fulfil those subscriptions that are already existing. Hmm. So what's the next step? Sustainable growth, I hear. Yes, very much what sustainable are the other, What are the other big steps that you've got on your roadmap? I guess focused on sustainable growth, uh, we are looking at local businesses that will support us and then hopefully in the very near future we can start looking into state. Uh, we have a lot of online customers from New South Wales, from okay. Victoria, a few from Canberra and Perth. So we know that some big cities around Australia are interested in our product and there is a market there. So that's when we that's where we'll look to next. What yeah. about overseas? It's something that we've not given a huge amount of thought to because it is such a big feat. We'll have to organize a whole new ball game of logistics and distribution. So it's something we're definitely not ready for. And I'm more than comfortable to be in that place only a year down the track of sales. Yeah. And we also should definitely mention um, a component of our outreach, which is the local outreach, because that's definitely something we'll be focusing on in the near future as well. We have recognised that um, there's period poverty in Australia as well. Um, and we were considering like how do we approach that? Um, and Eloise's boyfriend's mum actually came up with this idea because she was saying, oh, I don't have my period, but I want to support somehow by buying your product. And so what we kind of were thinking about it and why don't we get um, either postmenopausal women, men, people who um, don't bleed because of their contraception, why don't we give them the opportunity to buy the taboo product on behalf of a woman in Australia who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford what it? What an awesome idea. Yeah, it's we're pumped so awesome about idea. it. Yeah. <laughs> and it has flown. There are so many people who love to support. They want to support the business for one, but then the opportunity to support women who need access to product. And, you know, it could cost you as little as $5.90 a month and someone has access to product for their month and they can to continue with their days when they're bleeding. It's a really powerful opportunity to be a part of. And, and so how do they do that? Do they just go online? They basically sign up a subscription that supports that cause rather than being rather than have product delivered directly to themselves? Yeah, you click the little button. And we've, we've I guess, identified the groups that are at risk of period poverty, um, very much so like rural Indigenous groups yeah. um, and also women experiencing um, or needing the uh the services of Vinny's crisis centre, so like a crisis care, yeah. um, usually from a domestic violence background. Uh-huh. Um, but saying that the, our program for local outreach is about to change quite dramatically because we've had a lot of interest, eh? almost too many people wanting to donate product for us to actually give away. But also um, we've had on the other flip side, um, a lot of organisations coming to us and saying, do you have product for this X, Y, and Z? Um, So we'd love to match those donations and outreach up a bit better than we are currently. So that's going to change soon. Mm. Mm. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, we've had uh, health groups that work in rural parts of Australia ask us for product. We've also had schools and I've had, I've got a lot of my family members have been teachers and mum, for example, has taught for 30 years and she's often come home with stories about girls who can't afford product or their family can't afford product. And, 
you get girls asking their female teachers for their product because that's their only other option to stay in school. Wow. And it's been really obvious to us from the start that period poverty is a huge issue in Australia. And we are so privileged um, in a global comparison, but it still exists because it is expensive and it's not a priority in a lot of homes. So we do not want to neglect the girls who miss out on school in Australia um, either. And yeah, we're really excited for this opportunity to support more organisations. At the moment, we only have partnerships with Vinnie's and NPY Women's Council. So in the future, we're going to yeah, reach out to a lot more organisations who do supply pads to women and girls in need. So talking about your outreach program overseas, how did you come to choose One Girl? That was a massive decision for us. That This is the point of taboo. So we needed to get it right. Um, we did a lot of research throughout that gap year, um, looking into the various charities that have a menstrual support um, program or focus. Um, we ended up going to visit um, two of the organisations in Kenya and India um, in 2018, yeah, in our first year of uni in the um, winter holidays. So we were there for three weeks. It was Eloise, me and Eloise's boyfriend, Sam. And um, that was completely eye-opening. We, we shadowed these organisations um, in rural Kenya um, and a couple of spots in India and found that there were very, very different issues going on in the two countries and oh, the okay. different communities. And we were so grateful for these organisations for giving us the time of day. But um, we did, it wasn't the perfect fit. Um, and we learnt so much from on a personal level and it certainly fueled our passion for the cause because there was very obvious and evident issues going on in the area of menstrual health care. Um, but those organisations weren't a perfect fit for us. Um, so then we did some more research from, I guess, Australia and we came to an organisation called One Girl who we love. Yeah, we, we heard about One Girl really early on our taboo journey. I think the first year we were looking at who does this kind of work and we watched a TED talk by the founder of One Girl and she, I remember watching the video and we just looked at each other thinking she's ticked every single box we care about in, one, in, one in outreach, one in one video. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we went to Melbourne and we chatted with the One Girl team um, and then, yeah, we went back home, did our own research, went to Kenya, India, and it, like investigated a lot of other charities. And when we came back, we re-evaluated One Girl's mission and works and what they do and how they do it. And we fell in love with how thorough they were in every element of their outreach. So they have all these programs that exist to support girls at school and to stay in school in all these different ways. So they provide um, school resources. They provide mentorship about periods, access to pads in a social, a small business, um, micro business way as well. So there's local economy supported. There are jobs invented for um, women in the community toilets provided. They really think of everything. And we love how supportive it is of local economy as well. We know that it's a quite um, stressful phenomenon in, in the Western charities dump product and assisting resources into third world countries that don't stimulate local economy. So it is is very thought through in the long term as well. And they're a really passionate team in Melbourne. So they're local. We can fly there. We can have a chat to them. Um, learn about what they're doing in their space um, and, yeah. Sounds, sure. sounds like a perfect fit. Yeah. And and other the other important thing is that they work with local heroes, they call them. So people who are in the community have experienced what it's like to be a woman in that place 
and they run the initiative. So it's very much local driven, which is really important because the last thing we want is a culturally inappropriate, yeah. inappropriate, um, insensitive yeah, yeah. method of, yeah. of, of outreach. What an amazing story. Sitting here now, yeah, can you think back to your year 11 and 12? Did you imagine that you'd be running this organisation back then? No. <laughs> In short, I, I was um, trying really hard to get into medicine. So I was studying, my life was studying and um, obviously like our leadership positions and stuff. And life was very, um, I guess it seemed, looking back, like my life seemed so much smaller. Like Back, back then? Yeah, yeah, like four yeah. years ago. <laughs> but like when you're in that that school mindset, your life is school and your expect your study expectations, but also your community expectations. But your life is your community. I guess like stepping out from that now, now there's life is so much bigger. Like, yeah. I don't know. There's which means it's great. It's very interesting. But there's also so many issues you don't think about when you're at school. Mm. Um, but it certainly is different. I did get into medicine and then I deferred. Um, so I, I didn't, I deferred for the year that we had our gap year and did taboo. But now I'm in my third year. Eloise is in her third year of business and international studies as well. Um, so it definitely looks different. I thought I'd just have a part-time job and do med. But this is a bit more than a part-time job, isn't it? <laughs> a bit more responsibility. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think for me, I didn't have my heart set on a specific future. Like I didn't have that shared passion that Isabel did for medicine. I didn't have an equivalent. So I was a little bit more like, yeah, I don't know, we'll see what happens. I wanted to be an actress and a musician and then a midwife. And those passions are still there, I think, just with um, learning about and developing a passion for menstrual hygiene specifically. Yeah, I think we we both were sold on, on that that's what we needed to commit our time to. And yeah, I haven't really looked past to anywhere else. And I think when we started to be in year 11, year 12, just the end of the year 12, we had so much naivety that we didn't even know if it was going to work. We just gave it our all and kind of, you know, waited to see what happened. And that's the beauty of starting something so young is that you have, um, I guess, no preconceived idea on how it should turn out because you don't know what you're really creating. So I definitely couldn't predict what today would look like four years ago. Um, but I don't think we were really looking to predict that either. We just were really, really passionate about what we were doing on the day to day. Obviously had goals and we still have goals and we do you know, set out what we would like the f next few years to look like. And is your study in business because of this? Yeah. So I did choose the degree to better equip myself on how we should be running the business. Um, you can have as much passion as, as you like, and you can definitely seek out as much mentorship to the point where you don't need a degree. But I thought I do want to study. It's probably a very fitting thing to use my time um, with and, I have really enjoyed the fact that I can apply what I've learned at uni directly into the business and international relations is really humbling and really exposes you to worldly politics and cultural differences to the point where I do feel more equipped working in a global space, knowing that we're not going to run into trouble where with naivety that we do have a better knowledge and understanding of how the world looks. Well, you've got a lot of the skills, haven't you? Medicine, business, international relations, the passion, yeah. the drive. Trying to cover what else do you need? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that you need anything else. <laughs> Definitely a good combination. 
And we have an amazing, sorry, just on that point, we have an amazing team of volunteers. So we're all volunteers, but these girls have come on board over the last three years and have been so amazing in like marketing, blog writing, they cover all the bases and we could not be doing it without them. And where do they come from? Friends, family, randoms? Everyone has joined Taboo's team on their own will because they are passionate about the mission that we stand for. It's really nice to have a team of volunteers knowing that everyone is doing it because they want to and they're doing it for the heart. They're not doing it for a paycheck or it's a cool job um, because it is precious time. Time is precious and these girls are super passionate and using their time for this business. But yeah, they've all come across to in different elements. So social media, we've got some stickers around the place. One of our key volunteers saw a sticker in a bathroom, looked us up and then fell in love with what we were doing and offered up her time. And yeah, we have quite a few school students send in their resumes just for experience. And um, over the last few years, we've been really decisive on who we have on our core volunteer team. And then we also have a huge amount of people wanting to give us their time in less committed ways. And they're often school kids. So hopefully in the future, we'll have more opportunities for them to be involved past COVID and we can host events and and do more fun, personable things. They're like our ambassadors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about your work inside of schools, because when you think about customer lifecycle journey, that's where it starts. You're absolutely right. And we've definitely thought about that from the start. A, because um, we'd love for girls when they start to get their period to be introduced to our product and love it and continue using it. But also because we definitely have a heart for young women in the kind of, you know, 12 to 15 bracket. Life is pretty like complicated and difficult. Um, And we think that what Taboo brings is not only that menstrual support, but a community of people who are thinking more broadly than just their little, like their life. And it's, it's, we found it super encouraging to go to schools. We've been able to do lots of presentations to, to classes, to assemblies, um, whether it be about starting a business as a young person, whether it be about menstrual health care around the world. Um, and we've loved that experience because it really fires the girls up. Like we've had so many students come to us after and say, I'm so pumped up about this. Like I'd love to be a volunteer. I'd love to be an ambassador. Where can I buy the staff? <laughs> yeah, um, that's great. There's just so much energy in yeah. those communities and schools are such an amazing incubation space for support, like community support, um, exploring ideas and things like that. So we love that aspect of Taboo. And and I imagine they can see because you're not that much older than them. So they can probably see the journey from where they are right now to potentially doing something like you're doing in the future. I think that's why we've been invited by a lot of teachers because they know that their students might relate to us better than a, you know, 40, 50 year old presenter. And um, because we were so just bold and getting it done and just doing the job. Um, I think it's a great message for young people to hear that it can be done. And and if they run with their dream, then chances are it might work. And even if it doesn't work, then you're still young and you can move on and and do something else. So I think it is quite encouraging for young people to hear the story with young people presenting it as well, because it's like, oh, they're only three years older than me. Like, I'm really passionate about this. Why don't I do it? Yeah. And it can be like a a big responsibility that we take very seriously that we've got this, um, this school that we're going to visit in a couple of weeks time. And um, the teacher emailed and, say, oh, and said, can a few girls from the years below come because they've just got their period and it's like causing them a lot of distress. And it can be quite a distressing time. 
especially when you're one of the first girls in your year together and all of this, there's lots of questions. Um, and so we want Taboo to offer um, hope in that situation as well. Like we want them to know that it's not something to be ashamed of. And that's why we're called Taboo. We want to smash the stigma. Girls should feel comfortable talking about it, asking their questions and even just learning about the ins and outs of it, how amazing the biology is. And obviously, like, I'm very passionate about that. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I think it's you're amazing. The person, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could, I would love to teach them about it, like, and to celebrate it because their body is doing an amazing thing. So that's something that we do take seriously because it's a very formative time of life. Mm. And Izzy is right in that we just approach a stage with no shame whatsoever and throw around the word period and menstruation and and it does make people feel uncomfortable especially when you're talking to a group of kids in a co-ed school like you've got young boys that hate the idea of talking about it and they cringe and they look away and they like you know start making subtle comments to their friends but the more you pursue it and the more um I guess you're not shameful about it in front of these young people they start to question why they have a problem with it and if you explain that it's a natural biological process it's almost really, well, it is really awful to laugh about it. Mm. So some of these kids are like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have a problem with it. Yeah. And, mm. Oh, okay. I guess it's not anything mm. that gross. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all right. It's so important to approach the girls and the boys that this is not going to change. The, I guess the mood and the discussion around periods is not going to change unless the guys are happy and comfortable with it as well. Mm. And the girls feel supported um, and accepted by their male friends and their brothers and their dads, things like that. There's a great story I just remembered. Um, we entered a startup competition in 2017 called Startup Weekend Adelaide and it was filled with a huge group of very mature, very professional web developers and engineers and all these really incredibly innovative people. And we stood up there and shared about what menstrual hygiene is like around the world and told a huge bunch of people, like a third of girls in developing countries drop out of school as soon as they get their period and people are uncomfortable, silent. They don't know what to say. <laughs> and then we were chosen and, as a... And you over here, Mr. Smarty Pants developer, your, yeah. new, your new app you're developing. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> where, do you, where does that go in the scale of importance in the world? Yeah. <laughs> well, our business was actually chosen as one of the businesses to pursue over the weekend. So we, we drew together a team and one of the guys on the team was actually a web developer who went there with an idea and came up to us and just said, I feel awful. Last week at a wedding, I told the joke that if any if anything bleeds for five days, it should be dead about periods. That's like a you know common period joke. And then he was like, I can't believe that I made that joke. I feel so awful. I need to join your team and I need to give you three days of my time to make this work. And that's such a good example wow. on how people's hearts are just transformed by like, oh, this is something funny to joke about because it's not a big deal. And then all of a sudden, girls' lives are being ruined just because they, because of that stigma and yeah. because of those kind of jokes. And, yeah, he just was like <laughs> the most hardworking member on our team. It's fantastic. Was like, yeah. yeah, we respected that so much though because yeah. we, we know like perspectives can change and no one should be held like – accountable for what they thought beforehand if they then realize mm. so we were like encouraged by that transformation yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was such a great example of how we can continue to change yep. people's hearts and continue mm. to break that stigma and call people out on how they respect and treat the topic because mm. it does impact a lot of people and so many women will spend their whole life feeling ashamed yep. of that process um 
which is such a waste of energy. It's mm. something to be celebrated. And yeah, imagine all the wasted opportunities. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all that, all that, every hour of conversation we have that doesn't make a difference. Um, I'm wasted energy, yeah. wasted hours of conversation yeah. or joke, right? It's actually something you could use productively yeah. to change the world. Mm. Well, congratulations on all the success you've had so far. It's really exciting. It is. We love it. <laughs> I wish this was video because I'd love to be for people to be able to see the smiles on your faces when you <laughs> when you talk about when you talk about uh, what you're doing. So, thank you very much for spending some time today talking about your amazing story. Thanks for having us, Ben. Yeah, it's a great chat. Thank you. Well, what do you think about that story? Are you inspired now, or what? What a cracker story. Okay, so here's a call of action, and it's on you personally. Don't just click onto your next podcast. Head over to my website, theselfmadetheory.com forward slash podcast to see how you can make a difference in a young woman's life for less than a price of two cups of coffee a month. And everyone can help. Men, women who've reached menopause, parents, and of course, you can subscribe to Taboo for your own personal use as well. It all makes a huge difference. Plus, I've got some great links to their socials on there for you and some great photos as well. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming and prospering.